0: Boundaries are the high quality information that people need in order to love you best.
1: Boundaries are the high quality information that people need to love you best. I love this. And this episode is all about boundaries with Kelsey Grant, who is the founder of Radical Self-Love. And together, we explore what are boundaries? What are they? How do they work? What do they do? And how do we use them? The importance of practicing this with your friends before having this scary conversation of setting boundaries with a loved one. And the importance of bringing up one behavior at a time, not three or four, focusing on one boundary or one behavior at a time if you want success in your relationship. And what Kelsey and I do is really fun. We went through a whole bunch of different examples of what it looks like to set a boundary with love and what we mean by boundary consequences. And also Kelsey does a really good job of showing us how to apologize when you set a boundary that comes across as harsh or sharp. Also, a few notes about this episode. I messed up. I recorded this episode not with the microphone that I brought, but with the silly onboard mic of my computer. My side of the conversation doesn't sound great. And I considered not releasing this And I decided against it because the conversation is more important than the quality. And know that I am now aware of this. This actually happened in the last episode too, and I couldn't figure out what the heck was wrong with my audio. And I figured it out today. So the following episodes, uh, this will have been rectified. So it wasn't a mistake on my part. It was an experience that I have learned from. So thank you for sticking with me through these last couple episodes Another note, there will be no podcast next week. I'm traveling back to Canada and I won't have an episode for next week, but I will be back in May with a month of episodes on sexuality and we're going to be switching gears. I'm pretty pumped about it. This month has been a lot about communication and needs and boundaries, which is great because it's fitting for the workshop that I'm doing, the Healthy Communication Workshop Tools for All Relationships, where we talk about the courage to open up, the language to ask for pretty much anything, and how to set boundaries with love. And if you want to join us, please do. There's still time to join, and you will get the recording of the first couple sessions, and then you will be invited to this week's session on how to bring up unwanted behaviors how to make behavior modification requests in your relationship, and how to set boundaries with love. And you'll also be invited to the bonus Q&A, which is next week. And any questions you might have about healthy communication in all of your relationships, you're welcome to bring forward and we will answer them together. To sign up, go to thelovedrive.com forward slash healthy communication. And as always, my name is Sean Galinas and this is The Love Drive. (laughs) <laughs> Are you ready?
0: Yeah, I'm ready.
1: Kelsey? Yeah. Could you please introduce yourself?
0: Hi, I'm Kelsey Grant, and I'm a love and relationship educator. I do a lot of work around self-love for people, and then how that self-love can translate into deeper love with another person, and with the world around us. Um, that's what I do in a nutshell.
1: Would you call it? radical self
0: love? Yes. <laughs> and the reason why I came up with that handle was I was thinking about, you know, where is the root of love? Like where does it begin? And radical not so much in in terms of the extreme <laughs> sense of the word, but in terms of the root. So getting to the root of love and one of those roots of love is our connection to self. Another one is connection to other, but a lot of the time our connection to self gets put by the wayside. So a lot of my work is centered around let's reboot the connection to self so we
1: can deepen the connection to other. Can we just talk about how to do that so that the uh, I, I think it's a beautiful segue into what we're talking about today.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me, like practicing self love has been a practice. It still continues to be a practice. And the number one thing that I had to cultivate first was self-awareness. So I had to be aware of what was working and also what wasn't working in my life and apply some curiosity to that. Because if I went in with contempt or if I went in with criticism towards myself, I probably wouldn't get very far. And when I applied the lens of curiosity of like, huh, I wonder what's really going on there Like I wonder why that got developed or hmm, that's a, an interesting adaptation or <laughs> an interesting way I just handled that situation. I wonder where that comes from. And that led me into this beautiful land of exploring myself more intimately, exploring my emotional landscape because, you know, like a lot of people, my relational templates were based on what was modeled for me. And, you know, bless my parents, and they didn't always know how to model healthy communication, healthy relating, um, emotionally intimate connection. Those things just weren't taught to them. So, how could they pass that down to me if they had never experienced it themselves? And so a lot of how I was behaving in my early relationships was reflective of what I had been essentially programmed with or experienced or I was modeling.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. And, you know, taking a look at those patterns and I could see like, oh, when I start to feel threatened, this is what I do with it. And to me, self-love, sure, it includes, you know, being lovely and kind and sweet and generous to yourself. But it also includes taking a look at the ways in which we can be a little dysfunctional mm. and, and not skirting around that, not avoiding that material. So true, in my opinion, true self-love work includes a lot of shadow work. It includes looking at those places that are hard to look at and looking through the lens of curiosity. Looking through the lens of, all right, I want to learn this stuff, not to use it against me, but to understand it so that I can transform it to something a little more useful, a little bit more effective.
1: When you say shadow work, can you tell me what you mean? Because I'm not really clear on it. And I think some of my listeners aren't either.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So the simplest way that I understand it is the shadow is the pieces of ourselves that we have a really hard time digesting we have a really hard time being with. And like those pieces might look like um, the part of me that is jealous or the part of me that is insecure or the part of me that might be vindictive. All of these things that in a culture, in a family might be considered bad or wrong or the culture at large might determine that as bad or wrong. And so it gets pushed into the shadow of like, Ooh, I shouldn't be that way. Mm. So anytime we say I shouldn't feel this way, or I shouldn't be thinking this (laughs) or that's bad or that's wrong. Chances are there is a little bit of shadow material in there because there's something you're rejecting about your experience in the current moment. So, I don't really consider like being jealous or insecure or envious or vindictive a bad thing. If it's, you know, the experience that's coming up where it can get really challenging is if we act on those impulses. That's where it can be destructive. But just having the impulse isn't necessarily a bad thing.
1: Sure. And I think I learned a a long time ago in therapy, you know, my therapist said, it's not the anger that's the issue it's what do you do with it? Absolutely. Um, actually the way he said it was how much and what do you do with it? Mm. And I remember mm. we had argument with my girlfriend at the time and I about the baguette. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted the soft baguette and she wanted the crispy baguette and it just was a it like we I blew up in the grocery store and then we ended up talking about this and and that's where he talked about how much and what do you do with it? You know, the the expression of anger was disproportionate to the situation. Mm-hmm. And of course, had nothing to do with the baguette. We know that now. <laughs> right at the mm-hmm. time, I really thought it had something to do with the baguette. 100%. Mm.
0: Yeah, I forget what grandmother or grandfather of relational psychology said this, but they it, it's stuck in my head, in my heart. Ever since I heard it. And that's if it's hysterical, it's historical. Hmm. Meaning, like, if we get really, really elevated, or, you know, we take the level of anger up, you know, to notch 10, when really the situation may be caused, you know, for maybe a two, there's likely something really old attached to it. And there's an element of shame about that old thing. Hmm. Which, again, brings us back to that element of shadow work. So if we take a look at our history, like, where does this remind me of? Where have I felt this way before? Um, What about this situation in terms of how I'm feeling is familiar? Mm. And that can really lead us down this beautiful path of understanding ourselves. So we enrich the connection we have to ourselves because we're actually connecting To those parts of ourselves that maybe you know in our childhood or adolescence we had to fragment from we had to disconnect from in order to survive the the social situation or the family system or whatever was really too much for our our nervous system or our internal system at the time and now we get to revisit it with this new lens of a compassionate functional adult
1: we're also talking about accepting the old story right? Recognizing that there's an old story there and accepting, yeah, that wasn't ideal. Yeah. The situation wasn't ideal. The way I dealt with that, you know, was the best I could at the time. And that just because that was the experience that we had doesn't mean that that's how we have to act now.
0: 100%.
1: I think I remember same girlfriend, same therapist. Uh, There was a dynamic that was playing out in our relationship that was familiar to her in her family system growing up. And what the therapist said was, what Sean is doing feels a lot like what your dad did, Mm -hmm. but it's not the same. Mm -hmm. So making the distinction between, yeah, this feeling is very, very familiar to me. And so that must mean that this old story is, is playing out again and I must protect myself. Mm -hmm. And rather, it could be an opportunity to make the distinction that, yeah, this feels a lot like that and could be actually different.
0: Totally. Because it is different. It's a completely different situation with a completely different human.
1: Mm. (laughs) It can't (laughs) can't
0: help but be different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, my partner and I came up against a situation like that two weeks ago where just the way that he responded to me, it reminded me a lot of how my mom used to respond to me. And then it triggered this freeze response. And then I went into full shutdown. <laughs> and then we had to get off the phone because I'm like, I need to regulate myself because this is not going to go anywhere great. And then when we came back to our secondary conversation, I had to bring that out of the shadow. of mm. like, I want to give you context for what happened to me the other day. Uh, because when this was said, uh, it triggered something that was really old. And it triggered like how I used to feel uh, powerless with my mom. And so I in that moment transferred what happened with my mom onto you, which wasn't fair and wasn't true, because <laughs> this is a totally different situation. And having a little bit of space to regulate, I was able to pull those apart and see what you were saying as totally valid and seeing my reaction to what you were saying was disproportionate given what it was pulling in from my past.
1: I think what you're talking about here is really important because there are some folks that will have that trigger, then they'll take some space, then they'll come back to the conversation, but they won't talk about what came up for me. And how it's connected to my past. Here, here. Let me fill you in on the story that I told myself, mm-hmm. and let me fill you in on the actual story that happened in the past. And I think that's a beautiful opportunity for people to get to know each other.
0: Hundred percent. It ended up creating more intimacy, right, between the two of us.
1: Right. Uh, yes. Because, obviously.
0: Yeah, because he got uh, an insight into a tender spot for me. I also got to reveal more of my history with him. And we created a game plan in the future that should I come up against that territory again, because I might like, it's not like it's a one and done sort of thing where it comes up once and then you talk about it and it never shows up again. (laughs) This stuff will keep revealing itself so that I have an opportunity to refine my process around it. And maybe one day it doesn't trigger me anymore or maybe it always will. But there's a part of it that's my responsibility to really do that internal reflection of like, what is this about for me and how do I bridge my partner into that? Like, how do I kind of loop him in to what's going on for me so that he's not left out, you know, in the cold and then his abandonment stuff gets triggered and then we are off to the races. Mm. And so, to have these conversations just helps to flesh out the nuance of who we each individually are and what we're co creating in the container of our relationship.
1: And it gives them information on how, what some of your triggers are and how they might come up and make it easier for them to recognize oh, uh, when I said this, you reacted this way. And I'm mm-hmm. imagining that maybe this connects to that story you told me before. 100%. So they feel less defensive, maybe they feel less uh, like they've done something wrong. Totally. And also they're able to adjust and attune and maybe avoid using some kind of language that they know might be triggering.
0: 100%. You know, so it brings like a whole new it's a- almost like we we step into like a whole new chapter of relating to each other. Mm-hmm when we reveal this type of information, when we use conflict as a bridge to deeper intimacy. And that doesn't mean that let's fight all the time (laughs) and try and trigger each other. But like when it does happen, how can we meet that situation with awareness and with grace and with compassionate love so that we can deepen our connection to each other. So we root deeper in this place of security, which then allows us to both individually expand into this essence of freedom, freedom of expression of self, freedom of path, freedom of following our soul, because there is this nice secure base that our relationship is rooted in.
1: Mm. It's obviously, to me, an opportunity when this stuff comes up to share what's going on for you. And also this builds intimacy. You know, when we talk about intimacy, it might even be sort of hard to describe or, or to grasp for some people. But for me, intimacy means closeness. yeah Emotional, physical, intellectual closeness. Mm-hmm. When we share these stories, we allow people in
0: hundred percent
1: to get closer to us. And this feels like an appropriate transition to the topic that I wanted to talk about today, which is ba- boundaries. Yeah, um, I haven't talked about boundaries in a long time. I'm about to next week's workshop is on boundaries. So, you know, boundaries, in my experience and in my understanding, is a tool that we can use to allow people to be close to us in a way that feels safe. That, to me, feels like you know when someone says like, "What is a boundary?" It's it is um, a way of communicating how you can be close to me mm-hmm. and maybe not trigger some of my stuff that's going to get triggered.
0: Absolutely. The working definition that I use, which is very similar, is that boundaries are the high quality information that people need in order to love you best.
1: Ooh. Yes. That's a good it's one. juicy. <laughs> yeah. The high because- quality information that people need in order to love you best? Yeah. Yeah. Simple.
0: Because I think a lot of the information, at least when I first came into the world of personal development, the the word boundaries was just kind of thrown around as this ambiguous thing. And I, w- I would be so confused. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, what is a boundary? Like, there was just no concrete definition around it, which I found incredibly frustrating. And, you know, then I think in some ways it turned me off of learning about them. And, you know, the more I, you know, walked my path and then realized like, huh, yep, boundaries are a really important part of a a functioning, like a healthy functioning relationship. And it doesn't matter if it's an intimate relationship or a friendship or a family relationship or even in the workplace. These boundaries are so necessary in order to create a lot of ease and flow and connection between everyone involved. And for me, a lot of my learning about boundaries happened through contrast of having those boundaries crossed. When the boundary was crossed, then I would have this activation in my body. I'm like, oh, something just happened that wasn't okay with me. Mm. What is that? So, again, like bringing back that lens of curiosity. What was it about what happened here that wasn't okay for me? And you know, boundaries are also so critical in having us build a much healthier relationship to clean anger so that we don't distort anger into aggression.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Because if we don't have a healthy relationship to anger, a lot of what's modeled as anger in movies and TV and a lot of relational dynamics is actually aggression.
1: Yeah, or violence. Yeah, and violence,
0: yeah. And so we don't really have this, you know, understanding or a model of what clean anger is all about. So, no wonder we can be afraid of it sometimes or avoid it altogether. But boundaries will help you really fine tune your relationship to anger because anger tells you where there has been a boundary violation. So, if your anger is totally offline, there could be boundary violations happening all over the map in your life, which can be a really challenging thing to digest.
1: How do we start identifying, I mean, you sort of clued in on this, when something happens and, and there's a feeling that, I don't want to say a bad feeling, but like you get a feeling that something happened. That's I don't even know how to say that.
0: Yeah, for me, it's a charge in my body. Like I, I feel a charge or a restriction in my body yeah. when something has happened that
1: isn't okay with me. Yeah. Thank you for making that so much easier and clearer.
0: <laughs> You're welcome. Um, and so when that happens for me, the first step is what, like, what is this feeling trying to tell me? Yeah. Like, what is it trying to communicate to me? What about this situation doesn't feel good to me? Mm and then applying you know the context of our history so is there something historical that is contributing to the sensation happening in my body have i felt this somewhere before has there been this violation before because if there has it will be a very sharp experience in the body mm-hmm. it'll come up real fast and that can lead us into exploring Like, what about that initial, you know, origin violation was violating for me? And what could have been put in place to protect me? Is there something I could have said? Is there something I could have done? And this is more so if we're reflecting on, you know, young adulthood. This does not apply if we're reflecting back somewhere in childhood. Because as a child, your parents are there to keep you safe. Mm -hmm. It's their responsibility to keep you safe. Right. It's not your responsibility to parent them as a child. And so if we're reflecting on something from our childhood, like what could have happened from a caregiver that actually would have created more safety here. And so when we start reflecting in that area, it often can start to give us information about what would be more aligned in a situation as an adult. So If I notice that my partner says something to me and it's the tone of his voice that really doesn't sit well with me, then I can take a look at all right, that feels violating to me. And what is my underlying need? Well, my underlying need is to be met with respect and to be spoken to with an element of love and respect. And then from there, once I identify the need, then I can make the request for a behavior change. And, you know, if if we follow a, a simple process like that of reflection, let's, you know, get some juicy information here. And then what is the underlying need? Like, why is this boundary violation here? Like, what about it doesn't work for me? And what is the underlying need that I have? And then what behavior or shift could I request that would honor that boundary? And sometimes the behavior shift is something you personally have to do. It it has nothing to do with the other person. It's not always that case, but sometimes it is, you know, there's something that I need to do to not put myself in a a situation that is harmful for me. Right. And sometimes if you're in an intimate relationship and there's safety and collaboration there, then we can request, you know, our partner, you know, take a a breath before (laughs) replying or ask for a timeout. You know, if they notice that they're escalating, and then when they escalate, they have a tendency to be really harsh in their tone or harsh in their words, the request can be, you know, can you just give me a a signal, a sign? I had a former partner where we did this, where we had a physical sign that we would give each other when we were starting to get flooded so that we didn't cross over into that threshold. And like, I wanted to use the timeout sign, (laughs) like a T, and he found that really triggering. And so we came up with like making the peace sign over the heart. So it's like a two minute timeout so that we can connect back to the heart. That was the agreement that we had. And so whenever I would make that symbol, he would let know, like, okay, we're taking a timeout. Let's go regulate for 20 minutes and then come back to this conversation. Or he might do it to me and I'm like, okay, that's our agreement. I don't push. Past that, like as soon as the symbol is made, like I don't push past it. Because for me, a lot of those triggers reminded me of times where I didn't really have language to express myself. And when I get flooded, like that part of me shuts down. My ability to really communicate powerfully shuts down. And so sometimes having a symbol um, that you both agree on that isn't triggering for both of you can be very helpful and allowing space to kind of calm the system down so that we can reconnect and discuss what needs to be discussed.
1: Let's back up a bit and look at the tone example that you, that you mentioned earlier. Let's say this is your first time ever having this conversation mm-hmm. and you're talking to your partner and they use a tone that triggers you. What does that look like? What does that conversation look like? That first conversation of uh, setting a boundary or letting them know that that tone brings up something for you.
0: Yeah. So the f- I would kind of break it into two different conversations, personally, especially if it's the first time navigating this. So I would say, you know what, I'm, I'm feeling really upset right now. And I want to be able to loop you in to what's going on for me. And right now, I, I don't feel like I can, I can do that effectively. So what I need is you know 20 minutes to kind of cool off gather my thoughts and come back to share with you what just happened for me is that something that you're able to provide mm-hmm. that 20 minute you know pause so i'm not saying like i'm leaving bye <laughs> like triggering you know their potential abandonment stuff i'm saying i'm taking a pause i'm looping you in and i'm coming back mm-hmm. so that would be step 1 And then after doing the reflection, I would bring it back and say, you know, I really noticed that in this conversation, there was a certain tone that I interpreted. Um, When you said this, and I would get really clear about what the specific wording was, I wouldn't embellish it. like I go right to exactly what was said. And when this was said, I interpreted or perceived a certain tone that didn't feel so good to me.
1: Mm.
0: And I imagine that that wasn't your intention to hurt me. And that's a really key piece because a lot of the time it isn't the other person's intention to hurt you, even if they do like, it's not usually my intention to hurt my partner when I do. Right. And so if I account for that of saying, you know, I, I know that that probably wasn't your intention to hurt me and, and it did. And, you know, in the future, this is what would sound better to me. And I would give an example of how to, you know, communicate with me in a way that I could digest, I could hear. And I might also give my partner context as to why that certain tone really, really is hard for me to hear. And I would maybe say, you know, when I hear that sharpness in your tone or, I interpret it as being dismissive of my needs which then spirals me <laughs> into like this whole story about like me versus you and that's not what I want. Mm-hmm. We're a team. We're in this together and I don't want to relate to you that way.
1: So if I were to if I were to break this down,
0: mm-hmm.
1: let's say we're having a conversation and you use sarcasm. Mm-hmm. And I've kind of grown out of wanting to be in a relationship with sarcastic people. And have realized that, like sarcasm, is, is sort of disrespectful. Yeah. So I could say something like, and this is without a period of reflection. Let's let's say I'm aware enough that I don't need the twenty minutes. Mm-hmm. I could say, "Hey, just just now when I you know asked you for something and uh, you replied in what I heard to be like a sarcastic tone." Mm -hmm. Um, I felt like maybe my needs weren't valued or I wasn't valued and that, uh, what I was saying didn't, wasn't important to you. Mm -hmm. And that to me feels a lot like how my dad used to talk to me. And this is an example. This isn't how my dad used to talk to me, by the way. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And I know you didn't mean it that way, but that's how it feels. And when I feel that, I have a hard time staying connected to you mm-hmm. because this old story comes up of how people weren't didn't always talk to me in the nicest way. Mm-hmm. And in the future, if it's possible, I would like for you to refrain from using sarcasm, even though I know you were joking. Mm-hmm. It's hard for me to take it as a joke. Beautiful. Is that something like that? Yes. Yes. Gosh, it's so hard to do though. Mm -hmm. It has so many moving pieces.
0: Mm -hmm. And this is why I think we, A, it's so effective to, you know, learning community. So I love that, you know, you have that communication workshop, like it's so valuable. And this is why it felt like such a full hearted yes for me to get behind and share because these tools are just not widely available to the masses and it helps to be in community to know that we're not alone and that we're all kind of fumbling through. Yeah. And then it, it is that devotional practice of, I'm going to show up and give this a try, even though I might fuck it up, even though I might fumble and not do it perfectly because At least with the women that I work with, that element of perfectionism of like, well, if I don't do it perfectly, then what's the point of doing it at all? That really interferes with refining our process to be really effective communicators. Mm. We get better at this by practicing, by, you know, sometimes it's not going to go so well. And then we reflect like what part of that did go well, what part needs a little bit more refinement. And then each time, like we live in a progressive universe. So each time, if we have that devotional commitment, then we are going to get a smidgen more effective each time we practice. And I also find that it's really helpful to practice this stuff with super safe people at first. So for me, that is my, my social network. They're very, very safe. We're all in this world of personal development, relational development, boundaries. So it makes it a lot easier to practice these ways of communicating with each other. Like my friend Sylvie, I think you know her. She was on your podcast, um, Kukassian. Yeah. Her and I have like this gorgeous relationship where we practice a lot of boundary conversations together and we practice revealing our needs and holding space and meeting and witnessing each other mm. and in that female to female friendship there there's less risk there and because there's less risk in terms of like if we compare a friendship to a romantic partner i can get more comfortable you know using certain language and if i really needed to like practice my boundary with her like she would hold space and be like, yeah, I'll, I'll play the role <laughs> of your partner and practice. And so to have those, you know, core key people that we could, you know, learn this stuff with and practice with, where we don't have to worry about them triggering some really, really deep old stuff. And this is why group work can be so effective. Um, This is why, you know, developing adult friendships that are healthy can be so effective because it allows us a safe container to start the exploration and it gives us a little bit more confidence to step into courageously bringing that into a romantic relationship or even a family system.
1: One of the things I really loved about uh, what you just said was, well, there's many points. One of them is the idea of refinement, iteration, Mm -hmm. practice. Mm-hmm. the more you do it, the better you get at it. Totally. I can't stress this enough. Mm-hmm. How are we supposed to get better at anything if we don't try Yeah, and fail? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the thing that we're demonstrating is, is sort of a take on nonviolent communication. Yes, And there are practice groups online of people who are committed to setting boundaries in a healthy, loving way. Mm. And you know, one of the things that I noticed when you did your example and I did mine, we kept the focus on ourselves, mm-hmm. how this makes us feel. Yes. And you mentioned the importance of being very specific mm-hmm. when you said this, mm-hmm. as opposed to, you never take me seriously. Right. Those are two completely different things. If When I hear, you never take me seriously, I shut down because uh, you've made a broad statement about how I always am. Mm-hmm. You always do this. You never do this. If we actually looked at those examples, um, let's say you never empty the dishwasher. I bet that they sometimes empty the dishwasher.
0: It mm-hmm. can be argued.
1: It can be argued that it is, yes. And then they'll be like, no, that's not true. I emptied it last Tuesday, last Wednesday, and now you're in analytics as to when the dishwasher mm. was emptied rather than tonight when i made dinner and you didn't offer to help clean up i felt kind of like a maid mm. i felt kind of like you expect me to do all this stuff and for you not to pitch in and it would feel good to me if you also helped around um, the kitchen when i made dinner Mm -hmm. It would feel a lot more collaborative. Totally. And I'm wanting to know if that's something that you're willing to do with me on a more regular basis. Yes,
0: absolutely. And something that popped into my head while you were sharing that is the importance of sticking to one topic at a time. You know, what goes kind of hand in hand with those sweeping generalizations (laughs) is, you know, let's pull in all the material that we haven't brought forward in the last 20 years and dump it into this one conversation.
1: You never make an effort.
0: Yeah, ever, ever, ever.
1: It's like, (laughs) well, then fuck you. Like,
0: then what are we doing here?
1: You didn't recognize all the other, like the times I change the oil in your car, the times that Mm -hmm. I do the stuff that you don't even notice. Like I do a ton of shit.
0: Mm hmm, 100%. And then if we kind of jump around to multiple topics in one conversation, I mean, first of all, that's hard to track. It's hard to keep focused when we're jumping around and pulling in uh, situations that aren't necessarily the situation that we initially were dealing with. And it can be really disheartening to the other person to be like, wow, there's like this running laundry list of things that you haven't brought forward to me and now you're dumping it all into one conversation. Like, how am I supposed to do anything with this? Because I
1: didn't unload the fucking dishwasher.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, this um, making it hard to track is I think really, really, really important, mm-hmm. and which is also connected to this idea of not bringing forth all of your grievances at once. Yes. And like you said, sticking to one thing, you know, if, if it really bummed you out that they didn't help in the kitchen, it's likely that there's other stuff underneath that Mm -hmm. right maybe it brings up the fact that there is a general lack of perceived lack of effort on the other person's part Mm -hmm. and if you want results stick to one thing at a time yes
0: you know it's no different than training for a sport you know like let's say you're training for you know, to be a soccer player, and you're trying to lift weights, do sprint training, dribble, do dribble exercises all at one time, like, that's impossible.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I was thinking, I was thinking of a triathlon, like you're, you're uh, biking underwater (laughs) while running. Yes,
0: exactly. Exactly. You're probably gonna drown. That's what's gonna happen. Well,
1: that's what it feels like in these conversations where everything gets gets put on the table all at once, it feels overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And, and how could you possibly have a healthy resolution?
0: I don't think it is.
1: Right. No, no how? How can we do it? <laughs> yeah.
0: Like, I mean, the only way that I've seen that if we break it into bite-sized morsels, you know, one issue at a time. And if we kind of get to the core of what something is, we'll notice that there's a lot of other micro issues that are kind of tethered to that core. So if we can, you know, really address a core issue with a partner, then we don't necessarily have to have 20,000 conversations about all the other little things that annoy us Mm. because we've gotten to the core of issue that kind of spirals out into maybe 20 other things that we were miffed about. Again, the importance of like going inward and reflecting like. What is the core need, you know, that isn't being met here? What is the impact of this behavior or this situation or this dance that we do? What is the impact on me? And what is the perceived impact on the other person? You know, that to me has always been such an effective way of like, when this happens, it impacts me, you know, and, you know, I'm maybe invited to shut down or withdraw or, um, not engage in this relationship anymore. Mm. And I imagine the impact on you when you see that happen is that you're not too inspired to, you know, be collaborative either. That can be really problematic. And what I'm committed to is this. And then we kind of bring our side of it because sometimes it can feel really isolating when you know, our partner brings a grievance to us and they're like, you need to change this, 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 and this, but they don't address how they are going to be accountable as well. And so by saying like, this is what I'm committed to, and this is what you can count on me for. uh, It gives the other person an opportunity to claim that same information and behavior on their side.
1: Yeah. And there's also the idea that when you let them know what the impact is for you, then again, it's sort of like um, letting them know what the story is. Yeah. I grew up in a house where I felt like this is an example. I grew up in a house where I felt like I had to do everything Mm. and that I was, there was never enough time for me to do everything. And I just don't want that anymore.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I want time for rest. I want time for relaxation. I want to be able to make dinner and have my partner clean up and for that to just be okay. Because I feel overwhelmed and I, you know, you helping clean the kitchen allows me to relax. Mm. And I haven't had a lot of that lately and it would really feel good to me.
0: Mm. I love that. Like every time you give an example, like as someone who is just witnessing and hearing that example, I'm like, well, that would be an easy yes. The way that you frame something will determine whether it makes it an easy yes for someone to explore and like move towards, or it's like this really harsh thing that they want to turn away from. And the way that you're framing things right now, it makes it easy for me to turn towards what you're saying and really understand your experience. And I see the value in collaboration in that example. And if that was my partner saying that to me, I was like, of course, of course, I want you to feel rested and rejuvenated and like you don't have to do it all yourself. And sometimes that's a really helpful thing to hear back from a partner is, hey, your needs matter to me and I see how valuable that is and why that matters to you. And I want to be a part of providing that need for you and being a, a co-collaborator in that need being met.
1: In this partnership. Mm-hmm. Do we, okay, do you have any examples? Let's, I, I want to go through a like a few different examples that might be useful. Maybe like a work one. I, I can come up with some also, but I want to see what we can come up with. Like for
0: boundary issues? Yeah, totally.
1: Like let's let's show people what it looks like. Um, okay. I've got a work one.
0: Okay, let's do that. And then I'll, I'll ponder maybe a friendship one here.
1: So uh, you are my employee and I and you are, your plate's full mm-hmm. and I've got a project for you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I come to you and I give you this, this project and you don't have the bandwidth for it.
0: I would say something to the effect of, wow, it feels so good to me that you see me as someone who really can knock these projects out of the park. And in order for me to continue creating and putting forward work that is really effective and supports the team, um, I'm going to have to say no to this project right now because I have a lot on my on my plate. However, what I could do is, you know, bring another teammate on and we can, you know, figure out a different timeline for that. Or I can recommend another department or another person who would be just as amazing to take this on. Um, But at this time, I don't have the capacity to do so. And I want to make sure that I'm still continuing to do quality work. And if I took this on and overextended myself, all of the things that I would be doing would be compromised. And that's not what I'm committed to.
1: Dang. It's really hard for me to like, insist that you do this project now. <laughs> <laughs> like This is my, this is my internal process. Uh, I would have a hard time. Yeah. Knowing that this, 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 the outcome would be, uh, compromised projects and, you know, not, you not giving your best work.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, and, and all it takes is honesty, like just being honest. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I, like for me personally, like doing really high quality work is important. Leaving people better off for having interacted with me or worked with me or knowing me is important. And if I am too compromised, I cannot provide that experience. Like and it's going to influence like every person involved in a not so great way.
1: Okay, let me push on you a little bit. Okay. Hey Kelsey. Yes. I don't care. I need you to do this project. <laughs> cuz I, I cuz this seems like real life, you know, like the boss like doesn't give a fuck what else is on your plate even though it's shit that benefits him in the long term.
0: Mhm. I understand that this is really urgent and that matters to me. And I do not have the capacity to do this, but I'm open to brainstorming with you a way to have this project be done on time and still honoring my bandwidth for what I can and cannot provide at this point in time. So, if you want to sit down with me and we can brainstorm ways to get this done, or other people to bring on board, because I hear that it's really important that it gets done. And that matters to me.
1: All right, yeah, just transfer project one and two to your assistant, and then just f- focus on this one full-time.
0: I mean, in this hypothetical situation, is my assistant competent to do this?
1: Yeah, 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 it's all good.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, that seems like a reasonable you know, request. And I might need additional support from Betty over here to help me get this done on the timeline that you've requested. <laughs>
1: <Nice>. <laughs> Just like get, get a, get some more resources while you can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, the project's important. So yeah, let's get Betty. Involved.
0: It is. Let's get her involved. <laughs> you know, and okay. you can ask for those things. Like, and you know, if a boss keeps putting stuff on you, like you can go back at them and say, all right, then this is what I'm going to need in order to make that happen. Can you provide that?
1: Yeah. I might have to work overtime and I would expect to be compensated fairly for that overtime.
0: 100%. And if you don't want to pay me overtime, then I'm going to have to say no.
1: Yeah. And uh, eventually we'll, we'll look at what happens when there's like a stalemate, when you're not able to uh, set a boundary or, or the, uh, boundary consequences violated, but let's go through a few more examples. Great job. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Hit me with one.
0: Okay. Um, I think I asked you this in your program. So friend boundary, you are a love coach on, and that's your job. And I am someone who you know really struggles relationally and I'm also not willing to invest into a coach or a therapist and I keep calling you to talk me through all of my problems and I take up a lot of your time and then I don't take any action on the things that you have given me to do
1: <laughs> Got it <laughs> So Kelsey I'm honored that you Trust me. And then you come to me with this stuff. And right now, I'm focusing a lot on my professional practice. And I'm no longer available to give you the kind of support that I have given you in the past with your relationship issues and your intimacy issues. Um, I just don't have the space for it. And that doesn't mean that I don't love you, I do. And I'm happy to hang out with you in a friendly capacity and to shoot the shit. But when it comes to you coming to me for relationship advice, I'm, I'm not available for it. And it's important for me to name this because it's hard for me to do. Mm. Uh, it's really, really hard for me to say that I'm not available to you for this right now, but that's where I'm at.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm. Home run.
1: <laughs> still, so hard to do, and it's not even a real example. Like it's not even like a real situation, you
0: know. <laughs> yeah, it's not easy. Like, and I think that's an important point for people to hear is that you and I, we do this for a living, and it's still hard. Like, there are still situations that will trip me up where, like, I feel like it takes the force of gravity to bring this material from like deep inside of my chest and my heart up out of my mouth. It's just a normal thing for it to be a bit challenging. And if we can normalize that, then we don't get people stuck in not even making an attempt to flex this muscle.
1: Let's escalate this example. Yeah, you continue to send me messages about your love life expecting free advice. So you've just done that. You've con- you've basically ignored my request. Yes. And it wasn't even a request, actually. I, I didn't make a request. This would be an opportunity to make a request. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just said what I wasn't available for. Right. So you're continuing to send me messages. And I'll say something along the lines of, Kelsey, I love you. Your friendship means a lot to me. And last time we took we spoke, I told you that I wasn't available for this kind of support. And when you continue to send me messages asking me for love advice, I don't feel heard. I don't feel like you understand where I'm coming from. I also don't feel respected. And it's important for me to feel that, especially because I value you as a friend, and I want there to be respect that goes both ways. And so I'm going to ask you to please not contact me when you have relationship advice. I'm not available for it. But if you want to talk, if you want to hang out, if you want to go watch a movie together, if you want to have dinner like we used to do, I'd love to do that. I'm just not available to give you relationship advice. So good. You know, it feels clunky to me actually.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I don't know that these things are ever going to feel totally smooth because there is that part at least for me that really does care and I hate to see them suffer. It's definitely like the codependent over-functioning part of me that <laughs> wants to help them and like help everybody. And, <laughs> and so I have to really manage that internally of what I can and can't be available for. And so, yeah, it, it it's normal to me that it feels a bit clunky.
1: Yeah. Also it's two people the dynamics are always shifting. Mm-hmm. Uh, the feelings are sometimes ambiguous. Mm-hmm. You know, I said, like, I don't feel heard, I don't feel respected. Uh, sometimes that's not, that, that's not really clear. Yeah. And sometimes it's off. You think it's respect, but it's really inadequacy, or it's really fear of rejection or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's beautiful to highlight the fact that this can be clunky and still be effective. Yes. And then sometimes it can come out sounding kind of harsh hmm and uh we can apologize for that harshness if we realize it on the back end totally. We can say like you know what that came out a little sideways um i didn't really i don't have a lot of experience doing this kind of stuff mm-hmm. and i'd love to get better at it so that it's softer and more loving and also this is really what i need for me to stay connected to you because i love you as a friend totally but i'm not available to be your love coach unless you want to book a session in which case let me send you a link to my calendar <laughs> and a coupon code for friends and family. Yeah. And I'd be happy to dedicate time and energy and resources to helping you solve this problem.
0: Mm, beautiful. That's, that's such a powerful way of approaching it. And you know, it's it's full of compassion. And when we do, you know, make a a mistake or we do deliver something a little less gracefully than we had hoped. Um, it is okay to repair that and ask for a do-over I'm saying, you know what? I recognize that that came out a little sharp or was a little bit harsh and that's not how I want to come across with you. I really love you and I value our connection. Can I have a do-over?
1: Ooh. So I can just ask for a do-over? Yeah. I love that. You can. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> it works really good in romantic relationships too.
1: Yeah. Can I try that again? That didn't come out right. Let me, can I, let me, can I try that again, please?
0: Yeah. Rewind. And this is where you can bring humor into the mix of your relationship. Because if you are in, let's say a bit, a bit of a spat with your partner and it gets really serious and like you deliver, you know, communication a little more harshly than you would have liked. And then you notice and you're like, shoot, I totally like that came out the wrong way. And can I just like rewind and like, maybe you have like a funny little gesture that you do and it becomes like this source of like, Ooh, there's a little bit of levity there. There's a little bit of light. There's a little bit of humor and absolutely. I have never once declined the request for a do-over because there's so much humanity and humility in being able to ask for it in the first place.
1: Yeah. I think it's important to, to recognize that, um, there is an opportunity to bring lightness into this stuff because it feels right now yeah. really heavy Totally. and yeah, we can mess up. We could say, um, can we take another, like uh, take two, take, take two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's <laughs> like these little bits for connection that we can make uh, that are kind of subtle, but the develop over time in relationship where, you know, you kind of both realize you're taking this a little too seriously. Totally. Um, even though it is serious, what we're talking about is serious. Mm-hmm. but there's, there's an opportunity to be a little bit light.
0: Yeah. You can talk about serious things and be playful at the same time.
1: Sure. Yeah. I've got one. You ready?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We're in relationship.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You're a woman. I'm a man. I follow hot chicks on Instagram. Ooh. Okay. And I like their photos.
0: Okay. So what I would say is sean i love being in a relationship with you and you know what makes me feel really valued in our relationship is when that attention um is directed more towards me and what i notice is that i feel quite insecure when i see you following all these hot chicks and liking their photos. And before I jump to some massive conclusions about that, I'm wondering, can you like loop me into what that's about for you? What does that provide you with? And I'm curious if we can you know, introduce that into our relationship a little bit more, or we can come to some type of agreement that really works for the two of us so that I can feel even safer in my connection with you. And you also feel free to be who you are. Cause that's important to me too.
1: The fact that I follow hot chicks on Instagram bothers you. Yeah, it really does. What about you following like Mark Groves and Matthew Hussey? Cause I know he's got big biceps and <laughs> um, Dan Savage and uh, John Wineland. He's got like a California hippie thing going on. What about all those guys?
0: You know, I'm so open to understanding your experience about that. And if there's something that you're not feeling great about, I would love to hear your perspective and your experience. Like, and for me, I'll let, let you in to where that comes from for me. Um, I've had partners who have broken my trust and who have been unfaithful and who have really betrayed that sense of devotion in our relationship. And so this is a tender area for me. And I also noticed that I might be comparing myself to these people and what I really need is, you know, to increase the uh validation and the reassurance in our relationship that you are attracted to me, that you love me, they're not going anywhere. And, you know, that I'm kind of at the top of the food chain here.
1: <laughs> Baby, you, you know you know this. You know I love you, you know I've never I would never cheat on you. You know, I'm super, super loyal. And I understand that this is like a soft tender spot for you and that you've had some bad experiences in the past. I just like looking at, you know, these girls on Instagram doesn't mean anything. I'm not like DMing them Hmm. much.
0: Okay. And the story that I tell myself is that when you're devoting all of that time and that energy to looking at them, That there might be, you know, it it feels a little scary to me, and that you might not be totally available to our relationship and what I'm really interested in co creating with someone. And what really works for me is following people who, you know, are really enriching my sense of being alive. And so it really is important to me to understand what is behind, you know, following those women and help me understand because I'm, I'm really not
1: yeah i don't know they're just you know cute yogis and you know i've been wanting to get into getting into yoga lately and <laughs> <laughs> but what i heard you say is that you like want more validation. I heard a couple of things. And reassurance. I heard you want some validation, some reassurance, and you really want to understand what I get out of following these women. The first two things I can give you, I can give you more validation. I can give you more reassurance. And I, I guess I'd like to know exactly what that means for you. Mm. The third thing, I'm not really, I'm not there yet. I'm not ready to unfollow all these people. For me, Instagram is just like entertainment and the source of distraction. hmm And I follow all sorts of stuff, like sports stuff and, like, you know, gun things and chick things and cool four-by-four stuff. (laughs) So I kind of all lump it in as, like, you know, cool stuff to distract me. So I'm not quite ready to let go of that, but I'm open to, like, like working through this with you.
0: That feels good. You know, I I feel... Heard and understood, and um, in terms of what reassurance and validation looks like, is very similar to what you just did. You know, validating my experience and seeing, you know, why that might be hurtful or painful given my history. And even just your willingness to keep the conversation open feels really good to me. And I'm really grateful to have a partner who is willing to explore these things and have these conversations and reassurance, you know, and I'll be responsible for that in in terms of like, when I need my tires pumped, I'll come
1: to you oh, I love that. and let you know directly. <laughs> my tires pumped. That's good. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's what my partner and I do. We have like, that's the code is I need my tires pumped right now. And so that can be anything to do with like I am feeling insecure about, you know, being a leader or um, I'm not so certain of my capacity right now to really make a difference for people, or I'm feeling really insecure in my body. And so I have to give him high quality information.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I have to let him know like what I'm feeling insecure about <laughs> uh, so that he can pump my tires effectively because, He's like, okay, you want your tires pumped. Well, I'll just, you know, pump this thing over here that I think is important, but it might not be the thing that I need in that moment.
1: Which tire? Which front front left, rear right, yeah, driver's side, passenger (laughs) side, which
0: tire? (laughs) And so to give like specific you know, guidance or insight into where I might need a little bit of reassurance, like you can count on me to bring that forward. And it feels really good to know that you're, you're going to be receptive to providing for that need. And I also want to loop back around because you did mention, you know, John Wyland and Mark Groves and these other guys. And I'm wondering if there's something deeper there for you that you would like us
1: to explore. No, I was just like, you know, you're going to, comment on the people I follow, like you know, felt like it was worthy for me to comment on the people that you follow.
0: Mm. Okay.
1: And to like, try to see what the, try to see what the difference is there. Yeah. Okay. And scene. Yeah. And scene. Yeah. So that was, <laughs> that was hard for me to not to like take my coaching hat off. Um, yeah. I, 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 I was tried to act like, you know, like a, re, like a regular person, <laughs> not somebody who's been working on this stuff for like a decade. Uh, hard hard to do, hard to do. Hard to do. Uh, one thing I want to mention is this idea of asking our partners for reassurance. Mm-hmm. and th- this sort of goes outside of the conversation boundaries, but it's very much connected. Uh, this is very hard to do. Yes, a lot of people feel like this is a codependent behavior. Mm-hmm. And I don't think there's anything wrong with asking your partner for reassurance. Uh, Me I did it recently. I was feeling insecure about my partner's relationship with her ex. Mm -hmm. And I said, I'm feeling insecure about your relationship with your ex. And I would love it if you spent some time telling me what you love about me and what you love about being in a relationship with me. Mm -hmm. And she spent like 10 minutes, a straight up Mm -hmm. 10 minute monologue about what I mean to her Mm -hmm. and what my impact is on her life and what our re- relationship means to her and why she's with me mm. and why she's chosen to be with me. After that, mm. no more insecurity gone mm-hmm. until it comes mm-hmm. back. Yeah, until it comes back for whatever okay. reason, lack of sleep, you know, normal human functioning, uh, mm-hmm. regular stuff coming back. Cause it's all cyclical.
0: Absolutely. And it
1: was hard to ask. And it was really beautiful to receive. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I think you make a really valuable and important point of, hey, how important this is in the maintenance of a healthy relationship. Like, there are going to be times where we feel a bit insecure or deflated. And, you know, I think this focus our culture has gone to of like being independent. You know, there's so much emphasis on being independent, you should never need anybody. Well, that's going to be really problematic if you try and have a relationship with someone because there's inevitably going to be elements of dependency and need that show up in that relationship. And it can surely go into the extreme side where we are not, you know, filling our own cup. There's not that element of like self reflection to understand what's underneath the request. Or we don't know how to pump our own tires at times. And so if that's the case, then, you know, going for constant reassurance, it's like an empty well that our partner's pouring into. And eventually that's going to be exhausting to keep pouring into that well. And it's just not going to be effective. And that's going to be pretty frustrating. And so if we do our part of like, I know I have to pump my own tires sometimes. I know that I need to give myself reassurance and it's also totally okay and appropriate to ask my partner for reassurance when those moments come and to also provide that reassurance to my partner when he might need it.
1: Yeah.
0: And so it becomes a much more balanced entity of like giving and receiving.
1: Yeah. That's what, was, a balance is what yeah. I was thinking of. Yeah. Being able to fill up your own well, a variety of different ways. Mm-hmm. Friends, family, loved ones, your partner, yourself, exercise, meditation, podcasts, self-reflection, journaling. I mean, the list goes on. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's okay to lean on the partner sometimes. And it's okay to lean on the partner for them to be like, hey babe, working on a workshop right now. I'm pretty frazzled and a little overwhelmed. I'd love to give you the reassurance that you need. I'm not available for it right now. Maybe we can schedule some time like tomorrow night to connect mm-hmm. and I'd love to love up on you then because the workshop will be done by then, and I'll be present for you. Totally. And I want to be present for you. I just can't do it right now. Mm-hmm. Actually, that's a boundary
0: mm-hmm.
1: as well. Yeah. It is. Saying, I-, I can't give you what you need right now. I'm busy. And here's what I'm committing to doing.
0: Absolutely. And that's a really important point because You know, if someone comes at us with a request, we don't have to say yes to their request. You always have authority to say no, especially if it's a no for you. And, you know, make a counter offer. Like that's where we we get into this collaborative energy with a partner is when we can counter offer and then maybe they counter offer. And then eventually we agree on something that works for both people. And it honors both people. So it's not one person overextending all the time and saying yes when they really mean no. But there's this element of honesty. And in an environment of honesty, there's a lot more trust that gets anchored into that connection, which means, again, like the secure base of that relationship gets rooted stronger so that both people can elevate into their fullest expression. Mm which I think is a really beautiful thing. So you can always counter offer. And I love the example that you just gave of like, you know, I want to be able to provide that for you. And right now I can't, however, I can tomorrow. And I think that's where it gets missed a lot where people will just say no, and there won't be kind of an opening to, well, what's the counter offer? Like, are you just a hard no for that forever? or you're just a no for it for now, like we got to get really clear and nuanced in our communication.
1: Mm. Oof. I feel like there's so much more to this conversation. I agree. <laughs> and I'm also, I'm going to set up a boundary right now. I'm feeling uh, overwhelmed by how big this conversation is and how Mm -hmm. it can go into a bunch of different ways, especially when we're talking about like boundary consequences. Totally. And I'm finding myself just not available to go there right now because I'm tired.
0: And that's totally okay. Yeah. We can do part
1: two. I think we should do part two. I think we should. (laughs) Yeah, let's do it. We should do part two on boundary consequences. What happens when someone doesn't honor your boundary? Mm -hmm. Right?
0: Like. 100%.
1: Do you set a consequence? Well, if if you continue to do this behavior that hurts me, this is what I'm going to have to do. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we can go into what that looks like and give a variety of different options for boundary consequences. The importance of honoring that consequence Mm -hmm. because if we don't honor the consequence, then there's no, uh, what's the word? I mean, there's no consequence, but there's no impact. Mm-hmm. on the other person. Don't, they might continue to validate roundry because they don't see a difference in them honoring it. They mm-hmm. can continue to do what they want and they'll get away with it. percent. And that feels like a big conversation that I'm just not prepared to have right now.
0: That is totally okay. I think it is a part two earth. Like we don't want to overload people.
1: <laughs> I don't want to <laughs> okay. flood my my audience.
0: No, we want to be respectful of their capacity. Let's digest what we just talked about. And then we'll come back for part two.
1: I love part two. I've never done a part two before. Yes. (laughs) It'll be my first part two. Ooh, exciting. Um, Two more questions before we leave. Okay. Where can we find you and how can people work with you?
0: The best place to find me is on Instagram. I'm active on there almost every day. And my handle is Radical Self Love. And you can find some of the courses that I've done. At uh, legendaryloveacademy.com. That's my online school. And, um, but basically, everything that I ever, you know, sell in terms of courses, programs, coaching is all available on my Instagram, and I talk about it on a regular basis. So that's the best way to find me.
1: Now, tell me about your Sunday service.
0: Okay. Um, a Sunday service is the free offering that I do on Sundays and basically it's self-love church. So it's everything that I had wished church to be growing up in a religious family, but it wasn't. And so this is the safe place to come and get nourished, filled up. Um, we do some meditation and I have guest facilitators who come and lead the meditation. And then I do a self-love sermon. And then we complete the circuit and the, the service with uh, a prayer vortex. And then everyone's charged up for the week ahead.
1: I love that. And I love that you're pumped about that.
0: <laughs> I love it. It's the highlight of my week is getting on there and, you know, having this time with these people. It, it's literally people from all over the world. It's wild. Like, this is so magical that this is happening and that there are that many people who are interested in self-love, relational health and they want to come together in a sacred community. Like there's clearly a need for it and that makes me really excited about, you know, the possibility of a much more collaborative healthy future for us as a global family.
1: What does love mean to you?
0: Hmm. Love to me means it's it's the vehicle for which you know, people individually or together in relationship become more connected to the wholeness of who they are and who they are destined to become. So it becomes like the safe space to explore the roots of security and the elevation of freedom, and it leads us into a greater understanding of our wholeness.
1: Mm. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time.
0: Thank you for having me. This was so much fun and I look forward to part
1: two. Yes. All right, lovebirds, thank you so much for spending this hour with Kelsey and myself talking about boundaries. And I hope that you now have a better understanding of what these conversations look like. And also the understanding that it's not easy. It's not easy, even for two coaches to go through this stuff. It is hard. It's scary. It's complex. It's always moving. And it's okay to fuck up. I'd rather you get it wrong than to not try it at all. So Thank you. And if you want to join the Healthy Communication Workshop, where I give you lots and lots of tools and examples on how to open up to having these kinds of conversations and the exact language to use in a variety of different contexts, and how to do this stuff skillfully, as skillfully as possible, then join us. Come to Go to thelovedrive.com forward slash healthy communication and join. When you join the workshop, you'll get the first two recordings right away. And if you're listening to this months later, you'll get all the recordings right away. Session one, two, and three. You also get the recording of the bonus Q&A. You'll get a 60 or more page resource document with examples, frameworks, tools, everything that you need to put into place. And you'll also be invited to the Lovebird Club a private community for people that have contributed to my work. And these are people that value, trust, love, and intimacy. And it's also a really beautiful group to bring some of your challenges and we will support you together. And in the meantime, have a beautiful week.